Florida, Georgia draws a line in the sand. Broadway's got a brand new, not-so-funny girl. Plus Bed Bath and Beyond the Grave. All that and more on this week's Sunday Best. Today is Sunday, September 11th, 2022. I'm your host, Justin Meisner, and this is Sunday Best. I consumed all the news all week long so you didn't have to. And today, we're going to look back and break down the week's best in current events, politics, and popular culture. But first, it's time for our top story. American banking institution Wells Fargo has inexplicably terminated the bank accounts of several high-profile individuals in the sex industry, one of whom took to Twitter and slammed the bank for the move this week. I don't bounce checks. I've never done anything bad with my bank account. I don't have fraud alerts or do chargebacks, Elena Evans said in a tearful Twitter video that was posted on Friday. It should also be noted that Elena is the president of the Adult Performance Artists Guild. Evans read a letter that she received from Wells Fargo informing her that after a 30-year banking relationship, her account would be discontinued. A bank that I've done business with for 30 years decided that I'm not worthy of a relationship with them, she said, adding, how am I supposed to pay my bills? How am I supposed to get paid? In the letter received by Evans, the bank stated that it, quote, performs ongoing reviews of its account relationships in connection with the bank's responsibilities to manage risks in its banking operations. Wells Fargo made the decision to terminate Evans' account as a result of this review, as per the bank's letter. Spike Irons and Sophie Marie, a married couple who jointly run the Las Vegas-based production company Yummy Girl Studios, told Rolling Stone magazine that they too were informed by Wells Fargo that their account would be decommissioned effective October 13th. They told Rolling Stone that Wells Fargo sent them a letter last month, shortly after they cashed a check that Marie earned from recently posing for Hustler. The bank account was used to pay salaries to independent contractors, as well as actors and production staffers. Irons and Marie said that they have applied to at least two other banks, both of which rejected them. They fear that they will not be able to pay their workers once their Wells Fargo account is officially shut down in a month. We are a tax-paying business that has been consistently operating since 2016, Iron said. Tell me how we are high risk. Wouldn't they have dumped us years ago? Leah Wei, who is an adult content creator who earns an income from a cam site, said she too received notice that her account would be disabled, even though she's been a customer in good standing with the bank for six years. In this line of work, the feeling of being discriminated never really goes away. What that feeling... I'm always expecting the other shoe to drop. She added, to have a business terminate your relationship when you've done nothing wrong or illegal, it sucks. Financial lenders may have been scared off by a lawsuit that was filed earlier this summer in California, where Serena Flightes claimed in court papers that she fell victim to revenge porn after an ex-boyfriend posted an explicit video to Pornhub that was filmed when she was just 13 years old. The lawsuit also named credit card giant Visa and accused them of facilitating the distribution of child pornography. In response, both Visa and MasterCard stopped processing payments for Pornhub's advertising arm, Traffic Junkie. Over the weekend, Instagram suspended Pornhub's official account, which had 13.1 million followers at the time that it was shut down by the app's corporate parent company, Meta. 
Wells Fargo has not publicly responded to the claims. All right, I've got a little update to a story that I brought to your attention last week. You may recall me discussing the Marin Morris and Brittany Aldean Twitter saga. Well, I am happy to report that just a week later, Marin Morris has managed to raise over $100,000 for trans youth through the sales of her newly released t-shirt. For context, be sure to listen to last Sunday's episode, but still to come this week, every day is Welfare Wednesday for Brett Favre. Has anybody seen this elf? Plus, you should probably worry now, darling. But first, it's time for last week's headlines. The chess world was rocked by an alleged cheating scandal this week, according to Chess24.com. Magnus Carlsen's 53-game winning streak came to an end at a prestigious tournament in St. Louis. Carlsen lost to 19-year-old Grandmaster Hans Niemann, and a few hours later made the stunning announcement he was withdrawing from the remainder of the tournament. With little explanation, many speculated that Carlsen had suspected Niemann of cheating, turning into what many have described as a witch hunt, short on details and long on speculation. Niemann has adamantly denied any wrongdoing and has continued in the tournament. The first of two planned all-star tribute concerts for late musician Taylor Hawkins took place in London last week at Wembley Stadium. The night featured appearances from fellow Foo Fighters members, Queen, and ACDC, plus emotional performances from Taylor's son Shane and Eddie Van Halen's son Wolfgang. A second tribute show is planned at the IKEA Forum in Los Angeles for September 27th. Country music band and arguably the pioneers of the bro country genre, Florida Georgia Line, played their final show together last week at the Minnesota State Fair after announcing a hiatus back in February, following years of breakup rumors. And although unconfirmed, the reasoning behind the split seems to be political. The pair had a very public spat regarding the 2020 United States presidential election a few years ago that has only worsened. Band member Brian Kelly has been a vocal supporter of Donald Trump. And side note, if you don't know what bro country is and you're taking this opportunity to start to Google it and educate yourself, let me just stop you and let you know that you've managed to go this far without knowing what bro country is. You should keep going. Legendary NFL quarterback Brett Favre made headlines this week when he and the state of Mississippi were questioned by the FBI over misuse of state welfare money. A report alleges that over $70 million in welfare funds for the U.S.'s poorest state was paid to the multimillionaire for alleged speeches that he never made, as well as going to places like a horse farm and a volleyball complex, among others. Favre has not been charged with a crime at the time of this recording. The chief financial advisor for U.S. retail giant Bed Bath & Beyond committed suicide this week after jumping from New York's Tribeca skyscraper known as the Jenga Tower. 52-year-old Gustavo Arnal took his life just days after the retailer had announced the closure of over 150 stores nationwide. 
This all comes after Anal, as well as the company, were sued last month over accusations of artificially inflating the firm's stock prices in what is commonly referred to as a pump-and-dump scheme. Latin icon Ricky Martin has sued his nephew, Dennis Sanchez, after the man claimed he had a seven-month incestuous affair with Martin, even attempting to file a restraining order against him this past July, claiming he had tried to end the affair, but Martin wasn't taking no for an answer. Eventually, Sanchez admitted under oath that he had never had a sexual interaction with his uncle. The lawsuit, which describes the nephew as troubled, accuses him of extortion, malicious persecution, abuse of law, and damages. And boy, what damages they are. Martin's attorneys allege Sanchez's allegations cost him at least $10 million worth of canceled contracts and projects, plus another $20 million in damages to his reputation. But that's when this weird story got a little weirder. Less than 24 hours after Martin filed the lawsuit this week, Sanchez filed a sexual assault complaint against the singer in Puerto Rico. The details have not been made public given the nature of the complaint, and Martin has not commented on this new move at the time of the recording. Side note, it was discovered a judge previously issued Sanchez two restraining orders in an unrelated stalking case. According to the New York Post, Kesha is accusing Dr. Luke of doing everything possible to delay court proceedings in their ongoing defamation battle, raising concerns it could stall their upcoming trial. Kesha's lawyers state she is more than eager to face Luke at their upcoming trial, which is scheduled to start on February 20th of next year, but expressed concern the case could be jeopardized if her two pending appeals are left unresolved. According to the recent filing in Manhattan Supreme Court, the 35-year-old singer has attempted to speed up briefing deadlines so that oral arguments in both appeals can be heard in either this October or November, but those requests have all been rejected by Luke and his legal team. Last week, Canada announced a mental health crisis line will begin nationwide next fall. Canadians who need immediate mental health crisis intervention will be able to text or call 988 and obtain counseling free of charge once the number is implemented. The pressure had been mounting for Canada to establish a three-digit suicide crisis hotline after the United States implemented one this past July. Elton John announced this week that the upcoming stage musical version of The Devil Wears Prada, for which he is writing the music, is not ready and will be retooled following a short preview run in Chicago, with John hoping it'll be ready in another year. But it's full steam ahead for another stage musical Elton John is writing, this time about the life of televangelist Tammy Faye Baker. That show, titled simply Tammy Faye, was written with former Scissor Sisters frontman Jake Shears and opens in London this fall. Former Glee star Leah Michelle made her debut in Broadway's current revival of Funny Girl this week, two glowing reviews, replacing Beanie Feldstein, who departed the show last month in a sea of drama and poor reviews. Leah has long been considered a shoe-in for the part, having previously performed numbers from the stage show on Glee. 
but since Glee wrapped production several years ago, multiple former co-stars from both that show and past Broadway productions have publicly accused the actress of horrible on-set behavior that goes back years. Hoping to use Funny Girl as a form of career rehabilitation, several sources close to the production claim that, thus far, Michelle has been so nice she, quote, is making Julie Andrews look like a bitch. We shall see how long that lasts now that the first reviews are out. The considerable cost of attending one of the top American universities will now be covered for students whose parents earn less than $100,000 per year. New Jersey's Princeton University announced this week that families in that income bracket will no longer pay any cost to attend the prestigious school, whose famous alumni include former First Lady Michelle Obama and Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. Previously, only families earning less than $65,000 received full financial aid coverage. Over 25% of the university's undergraduates, or roughly 1,500 students, will now receive financial aid that covers the full cost of tuition and room and board, according to a Thursday news release. At full price, a year of tuition at the Ivy League University costs almost $80,000, according to its website. And finally this week, South Carolina State Senator Katrina Sheely gave an impassioned speech condemning her fellow Republicans in the state for trying to pass an abortion bill that did not make an exception for rape or for the life of the mother. MSNBC has reposted on their Instagram account portions of the speech that I have reposted on ours, and I implore you all to take a few minutes to listen. Again, our Instagram account is at SundayBestPod. And those were your headlines. Now it's time to go beyond, and in some instances, behind the headlines for all the news that actually isn't fit to print. This week I scoured the internet to find the most alleged and unsubstantiated gossip I could fit into a two-minute segment. It's time to spill it in another edition of Tea for Two. And before I begin, as always, everything you are about to hear is a rumor, and I have absolutely no proof to the validity of any of the claims I'm about to make, so help me God. All right, let's get started. According to The Sun, former talk show host Wendy Williams just can't stop drinking, admits the conclusion of her long-running talk show earlier this year and her ongoing health issues. Williams has long battled alcohol and substance abuse and openly shared that she had temporarily moved into a sober living home on her talk show a few years ago amidst rumors of a troubled marriage. Williams' assets are also currently frozen, as Wells Fargo Bank claims Williams is not of sound mind to be controlling them, something she denies. Allegedly, a huge expose about Simon Cowell and the inner workings of his British singing competition show The X Factor is on its way. Involving a host of former contestants and employees, there are even whispers of a massive lawsuit in the works against Cowell. Red Hot Country singer Kelsey Ballerini recently announced an amicable divorce from her husband. But perhaps things aren't so kumbaya after all, as rumors have now begun circulating that she's been hooking up with another famous musician for well over a year. 
And speaking of exposés, actor and comedian Chris D'Elia is allegedly about to also become the subject of one, involving numerous women who have come forward. D'Elia has long had rumors follow him regarding his mistreatment of women and female fans. And this week, Disney announced a sequel to their hit animated film, Inside Out. Actor Amy Poehler is set to return for a reported $5 million salary and back-end deal. However, two other stars of the original movie, Mindy Kaling and Bill Hader, have passed after Disney was only willing to offer them a $100,000 raise to participate. This has been another installment of Tea for Two. All right, it is time to do another deep dive, the part of our show where I take one story that you might have caught in wind of over the past week and break it all down for you so that you can avoid your eyes glazing over if somebody else brings it up in conversation. On this week's edition, a special request. I got a few emails from listeners asking me to give my take on all the drama surrounding this one particular topic that I have already touched on lightly in a previous episode. But tonight, I'm going full throttle and doing a deep dive because the drama with this story, well, it didn't just start this week. It's been going on for almost two years. On today's deep dive, okay, maybe you should worry now, darling. It was the spit, allegedly, seen around the world. This week, Harry Styles and company headed to the Venice Film Festival to premiere their new movie, Don't Worry Darling. The dark thriller, directed by Olivia Wilde, has been plagued by a plethora of drama from its earliest days of pre-production through to the messy promotional tour that came to a head this week in Venice. So how exactly did we get here? How did this seemingly quiet little movie become one of the most talked about films of the year and all before it's even been released? To try and understand, we've got to go back to the beginning to create this chaotic timeline of events. It seemingly all started over two years ago, when Olivia Wilde hired nutjob Shia LaBeouf to play the male lead opposite Florence Pugh. The film has several sex scenes, and LaBeouf is an infamously creepy with women, and is in fact being sued by his ex for horrific abuse. Around this time, during pre-production, Pew allegedly told Wilde that she didn't feel comfortable working with Shia, resulting in his role being replaced by Harry Styles. Now, when production finally commenced is where the timeline gets fuzzy, and that's probably on purpose, because several sources close to the production claim cast and crew began getting extremely frustrated with what many have called an absentee director. Apparently, Harry and Olivia would frequently go MIA during production, often disappearing together for extended periods of time, which reportedly did not sit well with Pew. You may also recall, Wilde was in a long-term relationship with Ted Lasso's Jason Zudeikis, and the couple shared two kids together, but were never married. Now, it wasn't until November of 2020 that the pair announced their amicable split, over a month after principal photography on the film had begun. And while Olivia claims adamantly that her relationship with Harry began after her relationship with Jason had ended, there are several people who dispute this, one of those being Pew herself, albeit only privately. Then cut to this past April, when Olivia was speaking at a film convention in Las Vegas and was then served custody papers while on stage. Sounds super amicable to me. 
There's also a rumor that Florence Pugh filmed a cameo for Jason's show Ted Lasso that, for whatever reason, never made it to air. Alright, so production on the film wraps. Months go by. Olivia and Harry take their relationship public. And the promotion on what should be a boring, underwhelming little movie kicks off, sending the Twitterverse into a frenzy. First, Olivia, eager to be taken seriously as a director, does an interview with Variety, which is read by literally everyone in Hollywood. In an attempt to garner girl boss points, Olivia says she fired Shia to keep Florence Pugh safe from an abuser. Well, Shia didn't take too kindly to that and publicly pushed back, saying he was not fired from the film at all, let alone by Olivia, and left of his own accord. Shia also forwarded two Wilde's emails to Variety. In them, Olivia is begging for Shia to stay on the film, saying that she will intervene with, quote, Miss Flo, who Olivia portrays in the messages as being too sensitive. The email shows that Wilde lied to Variety magazine and did not protect Pew. Now, it's time for the press tour. Florence, clearly irritated with Wilde lying about keeping her safe, declines to say anything nice or anything at all about Olivia to Variety for the cover story, which is almost unheard of for a leading actor promoting a new film. Then, Florence starts giving statements about how the film is being reduced to its sex scenes, even lamenting to Harper's Bazaar about the film's first trailer, which uses one of the sex scenes as its anchor. This is all a thinly-veiled direct criticism of Olivia, who has been promoting the sex scenes as revolutionary, and clearly instructing Harry, the other lead, to do the same. So Florence then skips all press junkets for the film, once again demonstrating a conscientious objection to Olivia, and while the rest of the cast was at the press conference in Venice, Florence, who allegedly didn't attend due to scheduling conflicts, was photographed sipping an Aperol spritz instead of attending. Then, this week, with the entire cast in Venice for the premiere, people started noticing a marked discomfort amongst the cast, except for maybe Nick Kroll, who honestly just looks like he got on the wrong bus. While in Venice, Florence Stylus also posted a picture of Florence with the caption, Miss Flo, a direct quote from Olivia's message sent to Shia. Meanwhile, Olivia and Harry, who were allegedly still a couple, refused to touch or even look at each other, let alone stand beside one another. In fact, while seemingly ignoring Olivia, Harry even made a show of kissing Nick Kroll right on the lips. Chris Pine, for his part, is doing a brilliant job of looking like he has completely checked out in every public appearance, becoming a meme that has now been viewed over 19 million times. At the actual premiere, we were gifted with Spitgate, where Harry Styles allegedly spit on Chris Pine whilst taking his seat, something their reps both deny, even though Harry jokingly confirmed this on stage in New York a few days later. And while I do find the clip fascinating, I really don't think anybody spit on anyone. And besides, the real drama at the premiere, to me at least, was the masterclass in passive aggression Florence was demonstrating. Not only did she ignore Olivia, not once even looking in her direction, but during the four-minute standing ovation after the screening, Florence didn't look or interact with anyone else in the cast except for Nick Kroll. In fact, after a few minutes, Florence just walked out of the theater mid-ovation, forcing the rest of the cast to awkwardly follow her out due to a festival protocol. The film is still scheduled for another premiere stateside in New York soon. Florence Poe, 
due to scheduling conflicts, is not expected to attend. Don't Worry Darling opens in theaters September 23rd. The world is full of problems. This takes one look at your news feed to confirm. Sometimes it's hard to hear the good underneath all the noise. But there is still good. You just gotta look for it. That's why we want to end this week and every week with some good news in a segment that we call Something You Might Have Missed. A nondescript cartoon elf seen on a television screen in the background of a Christmas photo has had the internet stumped for years, with some losing sleep trying to figure out exactly where it came from. But perhaps none more than Emily Charette, whose dad first took the photo at their Ottawa home back in Christmas of 1992. Charette stumbled across the photo again some years ago, but that elf on the television screen with gray hair, a beard, glasses and overalls has had her perplexed ever since. So in 2016, when the marketing agency where she was employed decided to hold an office photo guessing contest, Charette decided to submit the photo hoping her co-workers would be able to work out the elf's origins. But no matter who she showed it to, no one seemed to be able to pinpoint where the character was from. Unable to solve the mystery, Charette and her friends turned to the internet, posting an image of the photo online. That spawned a years-long search by citizen sleuths all over the globe that finally culminated in an answer this past week. But first we gotta go back to 2016 when Sophie Campbell, an illustrator for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in New York, heard about the elf from some friends at the agency. Searching for an answer, she posted about the mystery elf on her Tumblr page, even offering a cash reward for anyone who could solve the case with evidence. Inundated with tips, Campbell watched more than 30 old cartoons in search of an answer, all to no avail. But the online posts continued to garner occasional attention over the years, with Campbell getting sporadic messages from strangers inquiring if she'd ever been able to crack the case. Enter then Will Sloan, a Toronto writer who first heard about the photo in 2019 from his girlfriend. Curious about the mystery, Sloan created his own posts on Twitter and Reddit in search of hot leads. Another three years passed with no luck, and the trail seemed as cold as ever. Then a couple of days ago, my partner said, Hey, you have more Twitter followers than you did in 2019. Could you post it one last time? Maybe we can finally crack this mystery once and for all, Sloan said. Post he did, and this time it went gangbusters, setting off another flurry of attempts at identifying the elf. A few days later, the enduring mystery was finally put to rest. After six years and over 11 million views on social media, two brothers from the United States had solved the case. Lucas and Josh Razisha from Green Bay, Wisconsin, had no idea an old VHS tape collecting dust in their house would be the key to unlocking this internet mystery. Josh, who doesn't use Twitter or Tumblr and was not previously aware of the photo, learned about the mystery while on YouTube last week. That's when the two realized that they might know the answer. By happenstance, a few years ago, Lucas had been in search of a Christmas special that he grew up watching, so he started searching for obscure Christmas cartoons. After nearly giving up, he finally found the show in a compilation VHS box set that he had purchased on eBay. Among the tapes was a TV movie called The Soulmates, The Gift of Light, which was created in 1991 by, by Canadian screenwriter Gabrielle St. George. Josh said he looked at Charette's photo several times to make sure it matched the elf that was on his brother's tape. 
The brother sent the answer to a friend who posted it to Sloan's Twitter thread, which by that point had several thousand views. The mystery even caught the attention of the cartoon's creator, St. George, who said she had no idea her decades-old cartoon elf had become such an internet mystery. According to St. George, the special originally aired on CBC for about five years, before being sold internationally and then released on video. The brothers say they're just happy to preserve a piece of history and solve a mystery that had so many feeling like kids again. Meanwhile, Charette says she never imagined a family Christmas photo taken 30 years ago would become such a phenomenon. And her family is enjoying the moment too. My parents just think it's awesome. She said, we're definitely adding this movie to my Christmas movie list for years to come. And that's what you might have missed. All right, that brings us to the end of another week here at Sunday Best. I want to once again thank you for spending a little bit of your Sunday with me. And if you've been enjoying what you hear, please make sure that you're following us on Spotify and to hit the bell icon to turn on notifications. We've also gone live on Instagram, at Sunday Best Pod, where I'll be posting visual aids to some of the stories that you hear each week. Join me again next Sunday as we take another look back at the week ahead. I'm Justin Meisner, reminding you not to be a dick this week. Goodbye.